C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yerke. And I feel like I came at that with a lot of enthusiasm today. We love it. We're hyped up. It's, it's hyped, getting hyped and ready to go. It's getting warm out, you know, the cabin fever's real. We're in like day five hundred of quarantine. It's fine. We're still here giving you the content. Um Really excited. We have a very exciting guest with us today. Uh, She um, works at Google, which is very, very exciting. And she used to work at Wayfair, which is also kind of a quintessential millennial company. So excited to dig into that. She's also a first generation American, which is super cool. And she's also Jenny's uh, newest roommate. And shall I say, favorite roommate. Jenny's probably going to get mad at me that I said that, but it's fine. She's not here. Um, but we're really excited to welcome Zoe to the podcast. Hello, Zoe. Hi. So exciting. What's up? Um, thanks for being here. So maybe to kick it off, just to place you on the millennial spectrum, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing where you were born, maybe a little bit about where you grew up, how old you are, and then a brief synopsis of what you're doing now with your life. Yeah, so I am 27, uh, and I was born in California in Silicon Valley, which I feel like is a very millennial place to live, perhaps, and grow up. Um, So I feel like pretty solidly millennial. Um, I actually don't really know what the cutoff is, but I think I'm pretty, pretty in the middle. Yeah, you're I'm 26, and we're kind of on the lower end. Yeah. And Shay's 10 years older, so she's on the higher end. Yeah. I'm not 10 um, years older than someone who's 27, though. That's I'm true. 10 years older than someone who's 25. That's true. Almost 26. Yeah. Very anyway, true. continue, uh, Zoe. And I am currently a software engineer in New York City, cool. working at Google. So I think, I mean, maybe I'm in a bubble, but I think uh, the bubble that I'm a part of that feels like a very millennial situation for me to be working at like a big tech company living the tech dream awesome can't wait to dig into that a little bit later um but we're gonna dive into our campfire topic so shay what is your toasty campfire topic for us oh man i've got a hot one today um i just wanted to get everyone's thoughts so i i love cooking and two of my favorite I guess they're not like, well, one's a celebrity chef and one is just like a food writer. Um, My favorite celebrity chef of all time, Chrissy Teigen. Love you, Chrissy. Be my best friend. And uh, my favorite New York Times food writer, Alison Roman, creator of The Stew, uh, had a big fight this week and I had a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I think Alison was definitely in the wrong. uh, But basically what happened is Alison was, I think, on Twitter, which I'm not really on Twitter that much. So I like you know, read about it when it hit the news. She basically said some very disparaging things about 
um, Chrissy Teigen's career as well as um, it was organization. In an, sorry to cut you off. It was in an in interview Minnesota. for a magazine, so we can link to the full okay, like yeah. Alison Roman's comments too. Perfect. So, um, and she also said some really disparaging things about organizational guru Marie Kondo, and uh, you know. Basically, in short, she kind of disparaged Chrissy for having, you know, a product line and for all of that stuff. And then she, the same thing with Marie. Um, yeah, and, basically saying that they were both sellouts for like having yeah. this philosophy, but then yeah. trying to sell products to people. Exactly. So I, it really, I was just very upset because I just think both Chrissy and Allison are delightful people. So I was sad to see Allison make such a buffoon move. But the thing that was really interesting to me is that I felt like Allison so missed the point about both what um, Chrissy and Marie do. And the thing is that, you know, Chrissy Teigen is a former supermodel. You know, she has a completely different career path and career trajectory and, and really truly one that is quite unique. Um, I think in the world uh, and then someone who's a New York times food writer. Like, I'm just sorry. Like you guys have complete both careers of great value, but they're, you know, completely different spaces and trajectories. So trying to compare one to the other, if she had been saying that about a fellow times writer, maybe I would have been like, okay, but um, I thought that was a little ridiculous. Um, and then with the Marie Kondo thing, like, I mean, I guess have your opinion, but you know, if, why do you care if, you know, as a woman and a feminist and someone who says like you support women making money, however they can make money, why would you get upset about that? But I thought the thing that I thought was really interesting is that a lot of people have made this out to be, um, oh, and also just, you know, Allison just sounded like a dumb hipster at all of her comments. And she made a very, very sincere apology and I was like thank god because now if she had stuck to her guns I would have had to stop making her delicious recipes and that would have been terrible for me um but like I thought she handled it like eventually pretty well but um the thing that I thought was really interesting is a lot of the commentary was about race and it was it was interesting that Allison you know and I don't agree I mean I don't disagree that there was certainly it was certainly unfortunate that the two people she chose to rag on were, you know, um, Asian or of Asian descent. Um, but I also think it was a case of something not being about race that then the media made into being about race when I think it should have been focusing on, you know, how more about this, you know, kind of, again, that career story of people have different trajectories of careers, this type of freelance owning your own, work looks very differently differently for different people um, or about women not supporting other women in the workplace. And I feel like that kind of all got, and, and I'm not saying that the race bit isn't important, but I would have, I would have liked it to be more about feminism. But anyway, that is kind of the long story short or long story long. Um, and it was very harrowing couple days until Allison made her apology, but I feel good about it now. Yeah. I I agree with all of that. I actually didn't know who Alison Roman was until oh, I, God, I love her. saw this. And then yeah. um, I read the article that basically she was getting interviewed. She's a writer and has written cookbooks and has been very successful. And at some point in the interview, she was basically, like we were saying, kind of ragging on Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo for having this philosophy. And then 
she was also saying Chrissy Teigen like doesn't post her own Instagrams and was kind of fake and her whole internet persona is bad. So it was just like, it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, why? Like, why do you need to, to feel like you need to rag on other people regardless of who they are? Um, mm-hmm. And I agree. I feel like the past couple of weeks that we've recorded in this pandemic, we've had a lot of different conversations around influencers and people selling things online. And we've talked about it over the years on this podcast a lot about how do you create that balance between authenticity and marketing and who deserves to make money and who doesn't and how women kind of get put in a box. And when they try to do more with what they're given, they're told that it's too much, which is kind of where I agree with you, Shay. I wish that conversation was had a little bit more. Um, The race thing to me was interesting because it kind of just proved that, like, I don't think there was malicious intention on Alison Roman's part, but it just shows Mm -hmm. what kind of unconscious bias there can be on, like, who we choose as cultural icons to take down. And I think it goes along the race line, but also the gender line as well. Like, she didn't mention Mario Batali or Emeril Lagasse or any of these other kind of food people who have gone above and beyond. Guy Fieri, love him. You know what I mean? Like there's Mm -hmm. a ton of male celebrity people in the chef space that have also, you know, peddled this ethos that are also making money off of it that she didn't mention. Um, So I thought that was very interesting. So yeah, it was, when I read the article, I didn't, I don't know if I would have read it fresh without knowing that there was controversy if I would have read it differently like I Mm -hmm. almost wish that I had stumbled upon the interview before all of that because I don't know if I was just biased from getting all the like Twitter rage reading Mm -hmm. it if I would have felt differently which is kind of sad that we're all you know privy to other people's opinions before we can formulate our own so what about you Zoe have you were you up on this story before this or do you have any thoughts Yeah, I mean, I saw vaguely that it was happening. I didn't really know who Allison Roman was, like you said, um, Maddie. I kind of saw, like, Chrissy Teigen's response and, like, the media response to it. Um, I kind of agree what you were saying, Shay, that, like, it was very interesting to see how defensive people were getting and how much traction all the, like, race takes we're getting and I kind of wonder if that's more of a reflection of the current um the current climate of you know the media and like how defensive people are willing to get about you know race takes and like how people are just like getting so defensive whereas like any take that people are gonna have on gender is just gonna fly under the radar like it's not a hot take if people are like wow people are being you know, sexist. Like it's not a hot take exactly. anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder if, if that's part of what's going on. And like that's really sad that uh, you know, nobody maybe it's not an interesting story if somebody is just gonna say, you know, that oh, you know, <laughs> women aren't supporting other women is not yeah. gonna be clickbait, but yeah. a race a race issue is. And I think what's sad about that, Zoe, is that, you know, we've got to again, you know, in the last few months, um, unarmed black people who have been shot and killed just for living their lives. And when we're spending time pretending that, I mean, not pretending, but focusing on the fact that, you know, a successful white lady mildly slammed a successful Asian lady, like that takes away from the important issues. Yeah. 
And I think we probably should, you know, at least recognize that we are three white people sitting here yeah, having of this discussion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my my reflection on it would be that I think it's just like a reflection of like what's going on more than anything. Yeah, totally. And I think, as always, with these things that these types of things that come up, it's you know I, we talk a lot about cancel culture, um, you know, and it's one thing that I think is interesting and that why I always like to watch how these things play out. It's like, okay, are we now? you know, what's going to happen to Allison? Has she killed her career? Which I don't think this is a career killing. Yeah, no. I, I don't think she has. People's but, memories you know, are so short. <laughs> well, also, and no one really cares. I mean, I love Allison Roman, but clearly, like, no one's heard of her and everyone's heard of Chrissy Teigen. I so, mean, like, cancel culture not is anywhere. not a real thing. Like, yeah. people don't, people don't get canceled, really. Yeah. No, but you know what I mean. And, um, yeah. you know, I do, I think she's going to necessarily suffer any long-term detriment to her career I don't think so but you know sometimes people do and I don't know I just think that's always interesting one of the things that I thought was very interesting out of that was that Chrissy Teigen was like an executive producer on the show that she was trying to produce Mm -hmm. oh I didn't know I guess I guess Allison didn't know that either (laughs) oh (laughs) no or else she wouldn't have said that stuff (laughs) but that's terrible you know, in that kind of business, like you need to know who's involved in your projects before yeah. you start talking about yeah. people. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Very um, interesting. Maddie, before you jump into yours, I've got the dog barking and David is playing his very loud bass in the garage. Can you play, hear that? I can music? hear the dog. I cannot hear the bass. Personally. Okay, great. So. But it's okay. Continue I, don't, I don't mind the dog barking. It's kind of ambient. Yeah, she's and, saying hi to our listeners. Yeah, she's she, Benson has been on the the podcast before. Yeah, um, clearly, it's fine. Um, cool, awesome. Well, I I have like two little mini hot topics. One of them is based on a past conversation that Zoe and I were having in person that now we can finally finish on air. Also about like a zeitgeisty press thing. Um, I was over at Zoe and Jenny's earlier this week and Zoe brought up to me the Robert Pattinson GQ interview which Mm. I had seen swirling around the internet but had not read the full thing and I gotta tell you Zoe after like hearing you describe it was one thing I was like wow this is wild and then when I actually sat down and read it I was blown away. So maybe Zoe, in your words, you can tell our listeners that are like, who is Robert Pattinson? What is this interview that you're speaking of? Just like a little bit of a brief synopsis. Do I need to explain Robert Pattinson? No, no, no. He's the guy from Twilight. People know who he is. But he gave this interview to GQ basically in his quarantine house in London that the Batman producers are paying for and they're feeding him. And he's just He's in Batman now? Yeah, he's the new Batman. In case oh, one of the problems, I think, with the interview <laughs> is that you really can't do it justice. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So that's why I was like... Is it's... he, like, crazy or just bizarre? So, so that... yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that is maybe important to note is that throughout the interview they talk to his friends and one of the themes that keeps coming up is people describing how really as a person uh he was really cut out for quarantine life 
and really like before this happened like of anyone like he was made for this <laughs> like he's yes. the type of person that really if anyone if it was going to happen to anyone he's thriving oh well good for <laughs> yeah. him um and he basically yeah it's true zoe like you and i were having this conversation and you were like i was like well is he trying he basically just like is so bizarre that you're like is it performance art or is he trolling us or like what's happening here and you're right zoe like they interview some of his friends and stuff and they're like uh, like some of them were like oh this is just who he is and then some of them are like no he's very self-aware he like knows what he's doing to you Mm. but then there's just like it just takes such a turn at the pasta pillow portion so basically again you have to read it like even if you listen to this episode and you're like i never when you talk about articles i never click on them in the show notes never done it this is the one that you have (laughs) to click on because anything that we're going to talk about it is not going to do it justice but like he basically describes his he wants to create fast food for pasta like pasta that you can hold in your hand this is like his shark tank his shark tank invention like that he's proposing as an invention Pasta is a wet food yeah exactly there's no logic this is the genius this is the genius so he's gonna have you hold it in your hand So he was like, what if I make a little a little pasta pillow with the pasta in the middle? And he's describing it to the to the interviewer and it's just like microwaved pasta with sugar. But he was like it with came sugar when I was Googling how to microwave pasta, as you do, because that's how you cook pasta, obviously. <laughs> Not you how you cook it. pasta. I love these fresh takes from Shay because Shay has not clearly heard about any of this, which I love. Um, no. Yeah, and he ends up, spoiler alert, he ends up blowing up his microwave because he doesn't know the difference between an oven and a microwave. So, like, it's just a but wild does, journey. But to be fair to him, he he microwaves the pasta first. And then he puts it, he tries to put the second thing in an oven. So in order for him to accidentally put it in the microwave, that means that the place he's in has two microwaves, which like, okay, fair. That's confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe one of them is actually a convection, one of those convection things. That would make sense of why he blew it up. And it's like, he's being put up in like a a place in London because he's on location. So it's not his place. British microwave. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the most wild thing, Zoe, that you told me is that like, which they mention part of it in the article that like, he doesn't need to be doing any of this because he's getting fed by the Batman people and also his girlfriend's there. So he has female supervision. So like, why is he like this? And he's like, at one point, he's he's making this whole thing that like involves like, sugar crusted cheese and like he goes and he buys cornflakes instead of breadcrumbs because he's like, that's the same thing. And then, you know, the recipe involves sauce. And they're like, what kind of sauce? And he's like, I don't know, red. It's so <laughs> Like, bad. this whole thing. And you're like, I'm so sure these are the actions of an unsupervised man. But no. Yeah. Or someone no. who's just he's unhinged. He's with his girlfriend the whole time. With, oh. with, like, producers giving him food. Like, he's he's fed. He's got a trainer. He's got a girlfriend with him. Like, he's fine. <laughs> this is the thing that I don't... I think my real takeaway from all of this is how the hell did Robert Pattinson land the Batman gig? Because <laughs> a good point. The last, he's refusing I, to work out for it, which I think is 
brave. That is brave. But I feel like I haven't really seen him in anything of note for many years. They talk about that, too, in the interview. Yeah. What? They talk about that, too, in the interview about, like, what he's been doing and, like, what he wants his career to be. Yeah. I, okay, I have to read it. But, like, the most recent thing I saw him in was that with him and Timothy Chalamet, and he plays, like, the French king, and he looks real ratchet. And <laughs> I just, I just, anyway, this yeah. is, my he, mind's a little He also styled himself for the interview, so, like, it's just him wearing, like, weird scarves. And, and like, the captions, like, they, they... In the norm, like normally when you do photo shoots for magazines, they like cite the clothes, right? And they're like, the this shirt is from Dior or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like half the clothes, they're like underwear, his own. <laughs> but he looks like a crazy like pirate man, and he also has like an extreme dad bod. Like definitely has eaten too many pasta pillows. <laughs> okay, I feel like I need to see at least the picture of him right now. What do I need to Google to find this? Just Google Robert Pattinson GQ interview. Like, honestly, you probably just awesome. need to Google Robert Pattinson at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And it's also fun because, like, they, Stephanie Myers, the, the Twilight author, just announced that they're releasing Midnight Sun, too. So, like, mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson's kind of been in the news a little bit just with his involvement Wait, in Twilight. Wait, Midnight Sun, a movie of that? No, like a book new from book. Edward's a perspective. New... Oh. People are still into that? But that means they're going to have to make a new movie. Oh. Okay, I just see him with his, like, weird pajamas <laughs> and his special K. Yes. Precisely. Okay. I want to see him naked. No, he's not naked in any he's of them. He's not naked. You can just tell... You can tell with, that someone has a dad bod when they have clothes on. Mm. He yeah. just looks a little sweaty. I don't know. They're I don't want to like make fun of someone's like, appearance, but scarves tied around them. his head. Yeah, and some of the photos apparently like he took himself. Like they left mm. him a camera or something. I don't know. It's very. Clever. It's just a whole. It reminds me of like Shia LaBeouf. Like oh, he's God. just acting like he's on day ninety four of like quarantine in like a terrible, like isolated situation. But he's like fine. Yeah. He's really fine. Like he doesn't need to be doing any I, of this. I don't even know. I don't even. I. It's. Wild. I feel like this was a really good, good, good one, Maddie. Yeah. Well, you can thank Zoe because she brought it up to me yesterday. Um. <laughs> but that that was my real hot topic. But we had to discuss it. There was no way we were getting out of this episode without discussing it. So no. my real hot topic is I don't have any like article to go with it or anything. Well, actually, that's not true. I do have one article to go with it. But mm-hmm. I have been thinking a lot about. Obviously, we've all gone to a Zoom party at this point. We've all produced a Zoom party. We've done. All of them, I've done Zoom, book club, birthday party, graduation, all of the above, like every Zoom iteration that you can think of. And for a while, I was like, this is fun. Like, I actually do enjoy, like, obviously, we're used to recording the podcast via video. We've done this pre-quarantine. Mm-hmm. It's, like, totally fine. I have a lot of friends that live out of state. But I was like, why do Zoom parties just, like, suck so much? And I know, obviously, like, we would always rather be at a real party mm-hmm. but I was like why do I just feel like exhausted whenever I'm on like a zoom thing and now I'm getting to the point of quarantine where I'm like I feel like I have enough activities and I'm kind of like in my 
stride where I'm like, these are the like video online interactions that I want to have. And then I'm just Mm -hmm. like not saying yes to everything. Whereas Mm -hmm. like in March and April, I was like, yes, I just need things to fill the time. And like, I want to see people. But now I'm like, I really have no interest in like a Zoom party that's more than 10 people with the exception of Jenny's birthday party, which we'll go into because I feel like Zoe put a lot of work into that. And I also helped planet and it was very intentional that we were like it has to have some structure and so there's a good huff post article about kind of the psychology of why outside of just like we'd rather be in person and it's more spontaneous mm-hmm. and you can break off into subgroups whatever like outside of that stuff that's kind of obvious they're like there's something about zoom where like if you can see someone's face but you can't make eye contact with them it's very off-putting and it's actually not only off-putting it like makes your brain work harder which is why after a series of Zoom meetings or a Zoom party where there's multiple people that you're trying to pay attention to, you actually feel more exhausted than if you had just spent the same amount of time on a video call. So it's the same amount of screen time and that sort of thing with just one person or with a Mm -hmm. small group. And so they were like, if you're going to do a Zoom party, it's better to like break it up into chunks of people that Mm -hmm. know each other because it's like zoom can replicate kind of those intimate conversations so like what we're doing now like there's really no like outside of you know it's better to be in person but like i saw Mm -hmm. zoe just like an hour ago but like we're having just as good of a conversation as we would have had just the three of us but if there were 30 people on a zoom call versus 30 people in a room Mm -hmm. the zoom call doesn't really compare so they were trying to make the argument for like instead of inviting everyone you've ever met on a zoom call just like have three Zoom calls, and then you'll actually feel like you fulfilled your extroverted social interaction and make yeah. sure it has, like, Zoom works really well for meetings, and meetings have structure and an agenda and a point to them and ways mm-hmm. to connect with people. So I've just been thinking about that because I'm like, I can't say yes to all the Zoom. Like, if it's just people sitting on a Zoom and there's no, like, facilitation, I can't do it at this point in quarantine. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense from like a linguistic perspective, uh, just because like there's a lot of nonverbal and like verbal cues that you are looking at when you're having a conversation. Like eye contact is one of them, but also like what Shay was doing, like when you were talking of like just saying like, yeah, like, mm -hmm," like those types of things and like nodding and like looking at people when they're talking and like body language and stuff like that. That's really, really hard to track when you're looking at a lot of people on a screen. And it's just a lot of like, effort to kind of track all of that mentally. And it's hard to feel like you're in a conversation when you're doing that for a lot of people. So I can imagine like there's a lot of linguistic reasons that um, that, yeah. that makes it not feel like a conversation and more like you're just watching a video. Yeah, and we should mention Zoe studied say, linguistics. Is Zoe a linguist? Yes. I am a linguist, yeah. So we can get that. into that in the interview portion. Do you have any thoughts on the Zoom party thing, Shay? I agree with everything that you said and um, I feel like it's exhausting, but we'll adapt because that's what humans do, and we may be stuck in this for a long time. No, I refuse to adapt. I will not attend a Zoom call, I'm saying it now publicly, with more than seven people. I mean, I think if you attend a Zoom call with more than seven people, it in should la- be socially acceptable to turn off your video and mic. Yeah, I, w- I won't yes. say I won't 
I'll do it if it's more like a broadcast. Like if it's someone that's like, I am giving you a lecture or like, I want to speak to you. But if the expectation Mm -hmm. is that like, this is a party vibe and we're all supposed to contribute something, like it's just not, I'd rather you should just have three different Zoom calls with like your three different group of friends or whatever. Um, I will say... I have a weekly meeting for work where it's, I think there's like 12 of us on the call and there's like part of it where we're all interacting and part of it where we're like taking in information. And I've just started turning off my video during the, like the educational portion and because everybody else and we're all like, yeah, just sitting there nodding our heads. I wish you all could have seen my scary face listeners. Um, no, it's but so I was true. Like, I'm not doing that. It's like, like so I, people performative. People need to be looking at me. Yeah. They need to I, be paying attention. I remember also like somebody was talking about on zoom and other video chat things, one of the the differences is that if you're in a normal conversation or a normal meeting, you have an expectation that you're not constantly being observed, yeah. right? Like you have moments where you feel like you can like scratch your nose or like, like do something and nobody is looking at you when you're not like the focus of attention. And on Zoom, you don't have that freedom. Like you feel like, like you don't know who has you pinned and like is constantly watching your face. Like, I mean, obviously, hopefully nobody's doing that, but like, you don't know, like you feel like you constantly have to be on and presentable. And so I feel like when I'm in those types of meetings, like you were saying, Shay, where it's like a big meeting and somebody's presenting, being able to like turn off my video and mic and just pay attention, I feel like helps me just feel like I can pay attention and not have to worry about making sure that like I'm centered in the screen and I'm like doing something weird with my face or like doing you know and not have to worry about that yeah Um, Yeah. and the talking over I mean we even I I personally struggle with this on even just this podcast when we have like three people so the like talk like having a conversation where it's like you're all trying to respond to something and then it's like you can't hear anyone because you're all talking at the same time I'm just like ah I mean, in, like, dialogue stuff, like, a lot of the turn-taking cues are not here in yeah. video. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I brought up this topic with you, Zoe. I didn't even think about the linguistic angle, but it's just reaffirmed why I feel weird about it. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, Zoe, do you have a toasty campfire topic for us? Um. So, I mean... One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the stuff that's been going on with Elon Musk. He's the worst. I'm obsessed. Continue, Zoe. (laughs) I mean, so I think it's really interesting because I feel like for a long time he was kind of held up as this like millennial idol where like the whole Tesla, I mean, maybe it's just in like tech circles and like in Silicon Valley and like all this stuff of like the whole Tesla, like Elon Musk, like ideal, like beautiful thing. And to watch his downfall in like the coronavirus times has just been so interesting to me. What? Like, I feel like not to cut you off, Zoe, but just like a clarifying point what to you is like the downfall like the baby name thing yeah. or like the way that he's handling putting people the back on the line stuff specifically like the grime stuff is weird the baby name stuff is weird but like his personal life is his personal life and I don't know what's going on with that but I like for me I think it started the weird truck thing 
I don't know if you saw the truck demo with his weird oh, robot yes. truck where someone smashed in a window that he was like, it's bulletproof. You can test it by hitting it with this hammer. That, but that's crazy. <laughs> it was yeah. hilarious. It was like a live demo where he was like, this this truck is indestructible. It's bulletproof. Here's a sledgehammer. You can test it with this hammer. And then somebody did and it broke. <laughs> and I don't even think they hit it that hard, right? That no, was like and then he was like, oh, just well, try it again with this other window. And then that one broke too. And for me, I think that's where it started. Yeah. Like that was, a, that was like last year maybe, but like last fall. But I think that's where his downfall started in my mind. But, but cause I think that's where his ego took that first hit really. But then in the coronavirus times, I don't know if you guys, for people who haven't been following along, he has started to uh, become a protester of the stay-at-home orders because the Tesla the Tesla factories that are located in California, um, he has been wanting to reopen them against the orders of the California governors and the local laws, and he has taken to Twitter um, mm-hmm. to tweet some insane things, like just random lyrics from the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and mm-hmm. then just like tweeting freedom and things like that <laughs> much uh, like then, donald trump which we love. yeah like kind of eerily similar um but then he he did decide to open his his factories against the the orders of the the alameda county um and his like factories are opening and the workers are going back um and he's kind of been like tweeting like i'll be there like arrest me first yeah um, i did see that doing all this kind of stuff and it, it hits really close to, to me because my parents live in Alameda um, so like that's really like that's very close to where I grew up that's where my parents live um, and to kind of see I don't know I think it's it's interesting because you know they kind of think people think of that as like a tech a tech thing but it's it's also it's not the type of, of tech company that you can work remote, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of not in the same company as these other big tech giants where the workers haven't been able to, to keep working. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've, there's been a lot of conversations like at my job and at, at, I've seen other people having about like, well, would you feel the same if like, you'd have to stop working for two months and like, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. But I, I agree. Don't know. That's interesting. I haven't, I've really only seen Elon Musk when he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast, which he was recently, like a week or two ago. And I feel similarly, but it's a different scale, obviously, because he's like a billionaire. But I feel it's almost like the Robert Pattinson thing where I'm like, are you like trolling us are you on just like a different wavelength where it's almost like a savant situation and that's why there's this like lack of social cues or are you just like a complete jackass like white male ego just like think that you're above everyone kind of thing so that's like just him personally I've always kind of been like I don't really know where to place you um I haven't followed it as closely admittedly as you had Zoe but I think I listened to him when he was on 
the Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about the protesting and stuff, which I think it's like, it's a big move and it's obviously unsafe, I think, to to kind of lead as a leader your whole company full of hourly workers who maybe don't have a choice of what to do, like back into the workplace. Like that's a very, like you have to be really sure of what you're doing. Like if right. Elon Musk wants to... S- write shit on Twitter, go to the Alameda City Hall and protest himself. Like, that's his choice. This is America. There's, you know, guardrails for that. But don't, as a leader, put your your employees at risk. So that kind of bothered me. But I thought, as someone who is, he himself is an immigrant, like, talking about how we have reliance on foreign supply chains and stuff like that and why it's important to make stuff in America. Like that ethos of Elon Musk, I've always really liked. Um, But also his products just like don't work. Like SpaceX has been a real shit show too. So like, yeah, it's a kind of interesting dichotomy in my brain of I'm like, I don't really know what to think about him. So what do you think, think, Shay? I think the thing, so I get many earfuls about Elon Musk because my fiance is an engineer and he also is a big car guy and he thinks Tesla is a terrible, terrible, terrible company. And he thinks Elon Musk um, makes a lot of, you know, kind of terrible decisions. Um, But, you know, and, and a lot of that stems from the fact that you know, the marketing around Tesla and, you know, is that these electric cars are going to save the world when in reality, they're actually not any better for the environment because you, instead of mining oil and gas, you're mining lithium and lithium is even worse, takes longer to degrade. These batteries don't last that long. Um, And then he gets very, even more upset about it because we have the technology to do a hydrogen fuel cell, which is actually quite good for the um, earth has very little off gas or, you know, it just basically off gas is water and off gas is not the right word at all, but I'm using it. Um, so I, I don't know that much about it besides what David says, but I think that in conjunction with all of these things we're talking about, I'm just like, I would not invest in that company. I would not buy a Tesla. Um, and again, his, his response to, the coronavirus, in my opinion, and when he's putting other people in danger, because some of the places where it's spreading the fastest is factories, is is just reprehensible. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the email that he sent his factory workers. Mm. Um, he, it was like an honest day's work spent building products or providing services of use to others is extremely honorable. I have more respect for someone who takes pride in doing a good job than some rich or famous person who does nothing useful. Wow. I mean, I agree with that. It just, like, left a really bad taste in my mouth. They're just, like, some rich person sending that to, like, their factory workers that they forced to go back to work in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that on its, like, if you had just sent me that quote, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. I think that there's something about an honest day's work that is important, but it's, like, in the context, like you were saying, Zoe, of, like, these people don't have a choice. If they don't go back to work, they can't get unemployment. So that's like a huge piece of it. And you're following a leader that probably a lot of these people do have respect in him and like want to follow him. And he has a responsibility to those people. So I totally agree. It's very interesting. I think this is a good transition into the interview portion, talking about 
California and stuff. So maybe we can start with your parents because you are a first generation American. So obviously your parents had a journey to getting to California. So maybe we can start there. How how was it growing up in America with parents who aren't American? Um, yeah, so my parents moved from London to California um, before I was born, as you can probably tell from the accent that I have. Uh, I was born in California, um, but they moved basically, my, my dad got a job in tech, um, so they, they moved for that job. Um, so all of my extended family is in England, um, so... Uh, and I have one little brother, so it was just like the four of us in California. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that it was definitely, I was always aware of, you know, cultural differences. Uh, I don't think that I would, like, I would not liken my experience to, you know, any other immigrant experience just because, like, there's no language barrier. The cultural difference is minimal, you know, like most of most of your culture is derived from mine, right? Because of colonialism. Uh, so there's really not that much of a cultural difference, but it's like enough to notice. And so I think growing up, I always had like an, an awareness of that difference. And it was just like always enough to just enough to notice, just enough to like be aware of that difference. Like my parents didn't have very much understanding of like what an American high school was like. Uh, you know, my parents didn't really know like what Girl Scouts was or like how to get into college really. Like a lot of the SAT stuff or like APs or any of that stuff. Like we kind of all had to learn that together. Like that a lot is, of those cultural touchstones. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Um, so because I think that we don't, that's kind of a, a a part of the immigrant experience, whether you're coming from someplace that has the language barrier or not, that we don't talk about. And that how, I mean, the school system in the United States is, I mean, it's in, completely different. The only other place yeah. in the world that's even vaguely similar is what, Canada? I don't know, maybe Australia, maybe. but everywhere else. I mean, I mean, the in Britain, it's completely different um, yeah. as it is in most of Europe. Um, yeah, so that must have been a really, you know, because even if you know my parents, they knew they knew the deal, like right, like they knew what was going on. They didn't have to, yeah, you know, have that. So anyway, I just wanted to. Point yeah, that I out. mean, the schools in England, like uh, your grades are fully based on your test scores, mm-hmm. like in high school. So your homework grades don't matter at all. Like it's fully just your grade in the class is your grade on the end of your test. Yeah. Um, so like it's, it's, it's a very different system. It's a lot of like subtle you know? differences like you were saying. It's like yeah, you can navigate it, but it's like there's enough. Um, I'd imagine too like your parents have an accent. They sound different. Like those kinds of like more visible differences and things like that um do your parents want to stay in the U.S. or do they want to retire back in England or oh no they're staying they have their citizenship they got their citizenship uh when I went to college oh that's awesome congratulations Um, to them yeah so they're citizens now they've they voted for Obama just in time for Obama oh cute I love it (laughs) 
there has, yeah, it was exciting for them. That's um, awesome. Very cool. But, yeah, they're staying. I don't think they, I mean, they're, they're pretty attached to the California weather now. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I think they thought for like a hot second about like moving to Portland. Cause like after me and my brother went to college and they were like, we don't need to be here for the school districts any, anymore. Like maybe we'll go somewhere else. And it like rained once and they were like, it's too wet. We can't be here. <laughs> it's not sunny all the time. <laughs> My fiance is from Alameda and he very much misses it. And he's like, well, if we stay in Portland long enough, global warming will make us have the same weather as Alameda. And I'm like, okay. Yes. I I grew up in Menlo Park and Alameda is the, as far as they could handle moving. Oh gosh. (laughs) Too far north. They're like, they they went to the East Bay. That's awesome. So fast forwarding, how did you you're a software engineer now and you were working at Wayfair in Boston and then you recently moved to New York to work at Google. What is the life of a software engineer? Cause we, you kind of alluded to this at the beginning. I feel like it's one of those jobs that's like, you know, like I'm thinking about the HBO show, like Silicon Valley. And it's like a guy at a computer, just like a lot of monitors and like boop on the screen. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I've only ever worked at companies that, are either like finance focused or like physical product focused. So when it's a digital product or like an intellectual product, I don't have as much experience with that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you knew you wanted to be a software engineer or how you maybe transitioned because you studied linguistics in college too. Yeah. So I actually, what I, I, my tech, my title is technically a software engineer, but what I do is uh, like computational linguistics. So I still do like linguistics. Um, uh, I never really stopped. <laughs> I kind of just added com- computer science onto it. Um, I still kind of feel like I'm a linguist first and a computer science computer scientist second. Um, so what I do now is I do computers at language. I just make so because what I what I I work on search so what I do is um I mean I'm not gonna lie day to day it is a lot of uh booping and bopping and (laughs) a lot of like scripts I use command line stuff and I type things and I run scripts and like if you watched me at work, um, I think it would be very boring and it would look a lot like, I haven't seen Silicon Valley, but I assume it, it would look a lot like that because I assume it's just typing on computers and that is a lot of my life. Um, but the fun part of it is that the underlying uh, thing that I'm doing is language-based. I'm teaching computers how to understand language I'm teaching computers how to know what you want, and uh, and that's fun for me. <laughs> that is very cool. That is cool. Do you, are you, what is your thoughts on, like, everyone's afraid that we're going to end up in, like, a Skynet situation or, like, Alexa's going to blow up your house or something? So what is your response to people that are like, we shouldn't make the computers too smart or too like us because then will be in like Terminator territory. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really, unsurprisingly, there's 
there's a big meme-based community in the tech world. <laughs> and there's a lot of memes about this. And um, my favorite ones and the ones that reflect my feelings are basically just that we're we're really bad at it. <laughs> like we're it's not gonna happen really anytime soon like the algorithms that we have are very very bad at very basic tasks like if you if you look at like any of like the hilarious ais that have been created that try to like make sentences like they can't do it <laughs> That's like good. they can't. That makes like me feel there's good. a there's a very good meme generator that's been going around that tries to make memes. They're very funny. And they're funny because they're bad. <laughs> like and that's just trying to put like sentence fragments together. And you need the amount of data that you need to make that kind of a meme generator. Like you need billions and trillions of data to make like the most basic like meme generator and they're not even good (laughs) so we are nowhere close to a westworld situation then is what you're telling me yeah that's basically that's the gist of it like (laughs) i mean westworld (laughs) is like a combination of like ai and sex robots which we have sex robots we just don't have the ai component yet we have sex robots, but are they good sex robots? I don't know. I have not done any personal uh, testing, but supposedly, I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I don't know that the AI component is very good. I mean, we no, can do bad. we can do very good targeted AI for very specific tasks, right? But like the whole Skynet thing is this very, very broad task that like... Yeah, you're basically replicating I mean, humans, which we're not. I don't know what Skynet is. Does oh, that mean it's I'm... the it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator movie. It's basically like the computer. It's like artificial basically intelligence. I didn't over. watch a lot of TV as a child. Yeah, so. I mean this this was I even mean, before you were a child. This is like in the 80s, but it's basically like a computer AI system that becomes mm. sentient. I'll tell you, but it's going after humans essentially. And I'll tell people. you what we do need to worry about. Oh yes, I yes, love that. Love it. Bring it. <laughs> Which is uh, human bias being replicated in algorithms mm. because. Oh, that's because the way that algorithms work is you give it training data, right? You give it training data from the real world and you say, here's a pattern and I would like you to learn this pattern and then extrapolate from this pattern and then do better, right? And if you give it data that is based in humans, it will learn human biases. Interesting. And that has happened many many times i don't know if you heard about like they've tried to make some twitter bots like tay oh yeah don't they end up always being like white supremacists or something well because what happens is they try to learn from twitter Mm. they learn from twitter data and the twitter data is full of (laughs) nazis yeah and and it's a lot of trolls that purposefully try to talk to the Twitter bot 
and like purposefully give it a lot of data that's like white supremacy, like racist stuff. And then it's like a game to them that they like try to make it say wow. something racist. Yeah. So and it's it works. highly it's highly influenced by humans. It's not I think but, that's, it's a good it, point. But it's also like it can happen by accident very, very easily. So like one thing that has happened um, that I know that has happened is there was a company that was trying to make an algorithm that would uh, basically look through resumes and because um, they were like that we get so many resumes all the time and we want an algorithm that would just like give us the best resumes so that we can like call those people in for interviews. Right. And so they were like, here's, here's our data on like who we have, like our historical data on like the resumes we've gotten in the past and who we've had for interviews previously and who was hired previously. Right. And then based on that data, please take these new resumes and then from give us who we should hire right but the problem is that all humans have implicit biases and that algorithm learned how to be sexist yeah because those humans were sexist accidentally and like they didn't know it yeah right and they weren't doing it on purpose but like that algorithm learned that accidentally yeah and so if you're not paying close enough attention to the data that you're giving things to the algorithms if you don't like go back and double check like what exactly is being learned by these like those types of algorithms are called like machine learning algorithms where you're like learning um and they are we call them like black boxes sometimes because you just kind of like give it something and then there's like a black box that you don't see inside of and it just spits something back out. But you need to be able to go back and look inside that box and see like, what exactly did it learn? Yeah. <laughs> Was so it what you wanted? Yeah. Was it like, it's is almost, there something else in there? It's almost like a mirror back at us. It's almost like a way, exactly. like you're teaching the algorithm, but then it's actually just showing you a mirror up to yourself in a way. Very meta. Yeah, because they've tried to do some really scary stuff with, like, prison. Like, they've tried to try to predict, like, uh, recidivism rates. Mm. And that got real racist real fast. Yeah. Like, you can't do stuff like that, right? Because those systems have inherent biases in them. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard for us to create automated systems for those processes because all of the data that we have is inherently biased Mm -hmm. yeah it's very interesting that's interesting i just kind of learned about the whole machine learning thing because i was listening to a program where they were talking about doing it to discover new kinds of antibiotics and what the guy was saying is he says the thing you need to know about machine learning is it's garbage in garbage out right yeah So, and I was like, that is such a good way of putting it, you know? So if you're not putting in quality data to begin with, it can't create quality data. Exactly. And I know, um, Shay, you have to run in a few minutes, so I don't know if you have any last questions, but I had a question about shifting gears from the very interesting topic of kind of what you're doing at work and 
kind of these broader topics, but shifting gears to kind of the workplace culture of these places and without getting into too much specifics, but you've worked at kind of two, I think, quintessential millennial companies like Wayfair, which ships furniture and different housewares to people, which is something that our parents didn't really have the option of having that kind of stuff shipped to them. And then Google, obviously, everyone knows what it is. And it's kind of this behemoth. And they do so many different things in so many different sectors. Like, how has it been? I know, Google, you've only kind of worked from home (laughs) with them. Um, But... We had a couple months. Yeah. So what would you say, like, the workplace culture is like or not really anything noteworthy? I mean, I think tech, like tech culture in general is is very interesting um because i think um it's very influenced by startup culture mm. like even in the big cult in the big companies they have this whole um there's a lot of like freebies everywhere like in all mm. the big tech companies there's a lot of competitive free stuff perks. <laughs> yeah competitive perks Um, every company that I've ever worked in or or heard of has like competitive kind of perks, free food, free stuff, like who has the funnest office, Mm. which feels like a very strange, maybe very tech specific, maybe millennial specific thing. I feel like my parents would find that concept of having a fun office very strange. Um, I don't think offices are supposed to be fun, but, uh, um, but I think that's interesting and like, um, you know, people, people work a lot and there's, I think part of the, the trick of perks is you work more, Yeah. right? If they are giving you breakfast, lunch and dinner, then you're going to be there from breakfast until <laughs> dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're working more and I think that's that startup culture as well, right? Yeah. That you're... You're there because you love the company and you believe in their mission and you're very loyal and you want them to succeed. Um, And I think there's also that that idea of like brand loyalty of like you believe in the mission and you want the company to reflect your ethics, Mm. Um, which I think is also like a new thing. It is for sure. I think this kind of like blending of work-life balance is definitely a millennial concept in and of itself outside of tech like I think our parents were like work-life balance there is no such thing um or at least it wasn't talked about and I think there's a good fiction book called The Circle I don't know if you guys have I was just thinking about that I was going to ask Zoe if she'd read it and if she thought oh read it and then we'll do a follow-up episode it's an interesting book book about like a fictional kind of like facebook or google type company that's in a lot of different sectors and like slowly the protagonist like she joins and then it slowly kind of takes over her life such that she's like living in the circle house and then she's working at circle and like her whole life is online with circle and like all of her extracurricular activities are circle and it like slowly encapsulates like her whole life it's like very and kind of dystopian but and you can also oh there you go what does that say what noogler it's the hat i got when (gasps) i joined please can you take a picture of that so we can post it on instagram when we release this episode (laughs) okay that's amazing yeah, wow. they really, it's in doc, they in It is a, for our listeners, it's a, I don't even know how you describe that hat. It's a hat with a little, like, twirly If anyone's seen, like, the intern, 
<laughs> that's another Don't good movie. do they have this in the intern? Yes. Yeah. That's funny. There you go. Yeah. I love it. It's true. Awesome. But yeah. I will read that book. It sounds relevant. There is also an excellent film with Emma Watson and Tom Hanks. Oh, so yeah. I if forgot. you don't feel like committing to the book, it's not quite as good as the book, but it gets the point across. Yeah. Very interesting. Awesome. All right. Well, shall we jump into our archery range questions? Yeah. All right, Zoe, we're going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Uh, don't feel like you have to answer the with the perfect answer, just whatever comes up to the top of your head. If we ask for a favorite, it can be a favorite, not your number one favorite of all time. Um, and don't overthink it. Here we go. Okay. Favorite book. Um, Howl's Moving Muscle. <laughs> Love it. Uh, favorite TV show? Um, the Witcher, currently. <laughs> oh. Uh, favorite childhood snack? Um, toast. <laughs> That's very toast British. Of That's very British. Now you just really like took it home. So we love it. Um, favorite movie? Um, Spirited Away. Uh, favorite place you visited but not lived? Um, it's Porto in Portugal. Love that. Um, I would ask you what your favorite place in New York is, but I'm pretty sure you haven't been anywhere besides Jenny's apartment. Not really. Probably that bar with the cider that you guys are yeah. raving about. <laughs> As is. I've never out. been there while they were open. I've no. only... <laughs> You've only so been wait, there for pickup. You pick moved, up. like, literally right at the beginning of the... I moved in to lockdown. Oh, I have never been no. anywhere from here. Oh, my gosh. Well, New York's a great place. You're going to love living What's there. your favorite place inside of Jenny's apartment? Um, I really like the roof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the rooftop is great. Yes, we love that. Awesome. Well, that's a good um, place to end. Yeah. Um, thank you for being on. We will have you remain anonymous thank you zoe thank Thank you you. campers we will see you next time thanks for listening camp adulthood is hosted by maddie yergi resident youth and shay keats camp adulthood we are produced by jenny mayfield and this episode was recorded in maddie's living room you can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood you can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adult.